Hey, good morning, everyone. Pastor Tim here at Faith Community, and I wish you well on this uh, soggy Sunday as we gather here for this time of worship. I truly hope it is well with your soul. Uh, I wonder out there uh, if you've ever felt like you have lived in a cave these last few weeks these last few months. You know, I enjoy the cave. I have made my occasional trip to Shepherd's Cave and Carter Caves over in Kentucky, and, and there's a lot to explore. There's a lot to learn in a cave. And in fact, I stood there outside of Qumran, Cave 4 and Cave 11, where they found back in 1948 the Shepherd Boy, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Indeed, there's a lot to discover in the cave, but I wouldn't want to live there I wouldn't want to remain in the cave. I mean, typically caves are dark places. They're dim and dreary and damp. And I tell you something else, they are lonely. And that's what we're going to focus here for just a few moments today as we continue our sermon series that we've entitled A Season with the Psalms. I know that we're concluding today, but I want to highly encourage you to continue to live with the Psalms. The Psalms are one of the most beloved portions of all of the Old Testament, and they have a way of reaching down into the depths of our soul. When we go through difficult circumstances, when we encounter adversity, when we experience all kinds of suffering and and chaos in our life, these psalms have a way of touching the soul. They have a way of providing comfort, and they have a way of really giving us that incredible hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And so I want to continue to encourage you through this season to turn to those psalms, those 150 psalms over and over again, and to explore and to reread and to discover that even when you're in a cave, even when you feel lonely, our Lord is there. And so today we're going to talk about this psalm. Now I know that loneliness plagues our country even before this old pandemic. I mean, if you stop and think about it, uh, loneliness has been around since the beginning of time. This world sometimes dishes out those opportunities where we really know that we are all by ourselves. And I got to tell you, it's not a pleasant place to be. Do you know there's a hotel where you can actually rent a fish for the night? I kid you not. Uh, you can't make some of this up that if you're lonely, there's an option that you can rent some fish in a fish bowl to set by your bedside to keep you company. It's amazing, friends, how many of the Bible characters, many of the wonderful saints of God have experienced those moments where they have been alone, where they have been by themselves and the world seems to be against them. We turn in the scriptures and we find place and place again where Jacob was alone there in his tent and Elijah stood alone by the brook and Moses was on the backside of a mountain all by himself. How about Job? Job experienced one personal tragedy after another all by himself. And then we know Psalmist David did as well as he knew despair like no other and he fled through the wilderness to flee from Saul. Now, many of us know that kind of lonesome valley. We know what it means to be in that kind of wilderness. 
I'm told that 25% of Americans on average ate alone last night. They had no one to share dinner with. Uh, Gallup did a poll uh, a few uh, weeks back, and you know they discovered that uh, three out of 10 Americans note that they are extremely lonely. Even with some 300 million plus people in our land, there's lots of lonely people. And, you know, it's people from all walks of life. And in fact, money can't insure against it, and power cannot stand before it, and position cannot rise above it. I heard just this week about a pastor who had been in ministry since his college days, and some 18 or 20 years he'd been in the ministry, and he decided to throw in the towel. He said, I'm just too lonely. He said, there's such discouragement that has gripped my heart, and I just cannot move forward, and he gave up in serving the Lord in full-time Christian service. Now, I don't know the man. I've never met him, but it is the story that I've heard from many people, even in these days where there's lonely people. There's people living in isolation. They feel alienated. They, they feel such despair and like this dark cloud today uh, over our church and in our neighborhood is gripped the soul of a lot of people. And so I want us to focus here on the scripture today at another psalm I want to share with you that I think can encourage your heart. Uh, a psalm that can speak down in those moments when you are in the bottom of the pit. And it's one that we find here toward the end of these 150 psalms, and it's Psalm 142. And I want to share it with you today and listen to these words. And we know it's a maskil of David when he was in the cave. And it's a prayer. And it says, I cried out loud for help from the Lord, and I beg out loud for mercy from the Lord. I pour out my concerns before God and announce my distress to him. And when my spirit is weak inside me, you still know my way. But they've hidden a trap for me in the path I am taking. And look right beside me. See, no one pays attention to me. There's no escape for me. No one cares about my life. And I cry out to you, Lord, for help. You are my refuge. And I say, you are all that I have in the land of the living. And pay close attention to my shouting because I have been brought down so low. And deliver me from my persecutors because they're stronger than me. And get me out of this prison so I can give thanks to your name. And then the righteous will gather all around me because of your good deeds to me. Here in this psalm, we find David in this cycle of despair. And it's a picture here of seclusion. It's a, a portrait of, of really isolation. And everyone, I know, goes through these kinds of bouts with loneliness from time to time. After all, human life is really kind of lonely. I mean, we are born into this world alone. We die leaving this world alone. And in fact, as we travel through this life, there are many times when we're really essentially alone. Just us, our very soul. And so Psalm 142 here, as it begins, it's a prayer when David was in the cave. Now, I think it's very interesting to try to determine, well, what cave was David in exactly? And where was David at? What was David experiencing? What was happening to David that would cause him to write such words as this? Now, we know there are essentially two caves that are prominent in David's life. 
and one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And in fact, I have passed by this cave. It's in Gedi. And this is the location that we're told from this uh, passage of Scripture there in 1 Samuel uh, 24, where we discover that David goes in and takes off a piece of Saul's skirt without him even knowing about it. And as we take the events that took place there in that chapter of the Bible and we compare it to Psalm 142, we find they don't really match, that, that there's not a, a good fit for this psalm. But there's another cave out there that we find that David uh, uh, is in, and it's a couple of chapters earlier, and it's the cave here of Abdullam. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, it's mentioned that David is in this cave, and it seems to resonate more with Psalm 142. And I think it helps put this psalm, in fact, into perspective. Uh, the greater context here of 1 Samuel 22 is that David is running away from, from Saul, and Saul is out to kill him. Saul uh, sees him as an arch rival, and he's jealous, and he's angry, and he's upset. And Saul here is chasing him all over the countryside in an effort to kill him. And in 1 Samuel 22, it tells us that David escaped to the cave to find refuge. And it's in the midst of that experience here in the cave of Abdullam so that uh, David writes the rival, words that are he's given jealous to us in Psalm 142. And it seems rather strange that David describes his loneliness by the people who are around him. They weren't the kind of people who David could confide in. They weren't the kind of people that he could find comfort in. It's described there in 1 Samuel uh, 22 that these people are in debt. These people here are discontent with life themselves. And it's a ragtag group of people that are kind of surrounding him. And David finds no comfort in their presence. In fact, he is a refugee. He writes from the wrath of the most powerful man in the land at the time. And he's uh, holed up here, the, the, the context tells us, with some 400 men as described here. And David really gives us a detailed description of the, his loneliness. And he goes into great detail here to kind of define his circumstances and kind of explain what was happening in his life. And I have to be honest, I have not read anything in modern literature that really speaks about loneliness here like David has just presented David has given us in such eloquent terms, such flowery terms here of his really uh, experience in the bottom of the pit. And he says here in, in this verse 6 that all of his hope is gone. He can't think of anything positive. He can't even begin to think of an optimistic uh, outlook on life. He has no hope for the future uh, for he feels defeated and he's disoriented and he's disillusioned with all of life. We might say in modern times that he is at the bottom of the barrel or he's at the end of his rope and there just seems to be no hope. But David, even though he is down here, you notice this cycle that he goes through. And as he pours his life out to God, he discovers that God is there with him. And what causes a person to go through this kind of experience? What causes someone to be at that low point in life? You know, we, we know years ago there was a submarine that went down off the coast of uh, New England. 
and we know the whole crew was trapped in this sub, and they tried for some time to go down and rescue the crew, but all of their efforts failed. And toward the end of that horrible ordeal, there was a deep sea diver that was down below, and all of a sudden he could hear tapping. And he could hear this tapping, and he realized it was Morse code. And being a Navy person, he understood what the message was, and they were tapping out the phrase, is there any hope? They wanted to know, is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for us? We're trapped in this cave. Is there any hope? David here is sorting through that question in Psalm 142. Now, I got to tell you, there's all kinds of emotions out there, and perhaps loneliness is one of the worst. And there's all kinds of experiences out there that can lead us into this lonesome valley. I know sometimes singles, uh, they just haven't found the right person, that companion in life, and, and they are just filled with loneliness. I know there are other experiences out there. As we grow older, sometimes our, our family members die, our friends die, and we feel that we're alone. I know sometimes people in positions of leadership feel that they're all alone. We know the sick and, and, the, and, and the people who have disease sometimes feel alone. We know we've heard stories in the middle of this pandemic about family members being separated from loved ones who are ill and in the hospital. And I know what a lonely experience that must be. We know that the death of a spouse can be lonely. And I know some of you out there have lost a spouse recently. And I want you to know you have been in my prayers. My heart is aching for you, and I'm, I'm standing with you and praying for God's mercy. I remember after Prince Albert died, Queen Victoria said, there's no one left to call me Victoria. Maybe you feel like that today. A relationship breakup can bring this kind of feeling on Moving to a new town, I've met people here that have, that have started a faith community and they move from another town and they don't know anybody and they've, they've separated from family and they feel so alone. Well, we find out here that David is in the bottom of a pit and they're out to get him and he sees no hope, no help, nobody there to really sustain him and he doesn't just tell us what it's like, and how these feelings are impacting him. But also notice with me this simple five-step formula, if you will, that David kind of works through that I think can help us today. And the first step that David shares with us that he employs is that he verbalizes his feelings to the Lord. Uh, you know, many a cave have heard the best of prayers. You know, in the event of fire breaking out in your home or at a building, uh, they don't tell us to run around, uh, you know, like we see in the action movies on TV, because they tell us at head level and above, the temperatures can reach something like four, five, even 600 degrees. It can be a place that can really harm your lungs. No, instead what they tell you is to get on your knees, crawl on your hands and your knees to the closest exit. And likewise today, in the middle of pandemics, in the middle of all the tragedies in life, of all the violence, of all the things that we encounter here in this world, the best place for us is to be on our knees before God. We verbalize 
our feelings to the Lord. We go to God in prayer. Now notice how carefully the scripture here records David's cry unto God. It says it more than once. I cry aloud with my voice to God. And he verbalized his uh, problem. And now that may seem a rather trite thing. Uh, but I got to tell you that we know it's the first step toward healing from a tragedy. The heart is being uh, expressed toward the Lord. It's being laid out before God to come honestly to God and say, Lord, these are my feelings. This is what's going on in my life. God, I need your help. The second step that unfolds here is that of not only verbalizing, but visualizing. And here, what an incredible picture that David here presents. And listen again to what he says in verse 2. I will pour out my complaint before him, and I declare my trouble before him. And David just gets his brush out, and he paints this picture. It, it, it is such a vivid portrait of the soul. And he said, Lord, I'm going to lay this out for you. You see these people? They are out to get me. My life is about to end. I am totally distraught. And he just lays it out in front of the Lord. And he said, take a look at this, God. I, I got to tell you, you should see some of the pictures that I've painted in my cave over these last few days and really throughout my life. I've got a huge canvas where I have went before God and I've verbalized the ache of my soul. I, I have shared with God this incredible portrait of how I see the, the despair and, and the hurting of people and how even my life, the, the encounters. And, you know, I think that David here has given us some clue of what we need to do, this, this going before God and, and verbalizing it and, and visually putting it out there, laying our heart before God. But there's a third step that we notice here, and that is very quickly in verse 3, we find that Psalmist David recognizes God's omniscience. Not only here does he verbalize and he visualize, but verse 3 tells us here he recognizes the power of God. He, he knows that God already knows what he's going through. He says, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. Now, sometimes we tell God all of these things, like we want him to learn it, and then as we are praying, we realize, no, wait a minute, God knows about it anyway. Uh, sometimes we come to God so tentative as, as if we've done something and God doesn't know about it. But the, the Bible tells us over and over that God already knows now, I know sometimes it's hard to tell another person bad news. I have had the unpleasant experience more than once of telling someone some really bad news, like their loved one has just died. It, it is a very uh, gut-wrenching moment to have to do that. But you find that uh, it's not nearly as tough to tell someone bad news if they already know about it. And you're... you're commiserating, you, you are sharing, and repeatedly the Bible tells us that God knows. God has a purpose for our life. God has a plan for our life. We're told this repeatedly, like over in, in Psalm 37 and verse 10. We're told this in uh, or Job 23 and verse 10. And our path has already been established. Our path and direction, our purpose for life, God has made and he's already aware. And so we come to verbalize and visualize and recognize that God is there with us. 
And the fourth thing that we discover here, this step, is that David realizes God's provision. Now, this is an incredible moment here as we look down into this text a little further and we realize here that uh, David cries out in verse 5 and he says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge. These people are around me and I find no comfort in them, but you, O God, are my refuge. You are truly my shelter and in you are mighty provisions. Now, David here has experienced this cycle of emotion, and he really comes full circle. And all of a sudden, instead of of seeing his problem in center stage, suddenly his problem is moved to the right or to the left. And now God is right before him. And the day begins to dawn again. And God has been moved to the center of his life, and he realizes that God is all-powerful and that in God there are mighty provisions, even safety. And notice as the psalm concludes here, a last step is David then takes a step back and he summarizes his victory in verse 7. He moves from verbalizing to visualizing to realizing and recognizing and finally here to summarize that he does have victory in God. For he says, Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks for your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. Now, David has traveled this journey in just about seven verses here. And from crying out unto God in that lonely moment of life to this great shout of victory, he moves from anguish to deep assurance in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but that gives me tremendous comfort to see how God has worked in this guy's life, in David's life, in such despair and such hardship and someone out to kill him and he finds that God is there all along. You know, there were in ancient Israel, six different cities that were listed as cities of refuge. And if you had done something, and uh, maybe you had done something that had taken someone's life, but it was an accident, maybe it was not out of malice, it wasn't out of premeditation, you had done something wrong, you could flee and seek shelter, they say, in one of these cities. And about once a year, tradition has it that they would go out and they would clean the road of rock and debris to make it even easier for you to move to one of these cities of refuge, this place of shelter. And I want to invite you today to come to the Lord. I know these are challenging times. I know they are hard to be disconnected. I know there's lots of wonderful tools that we're grateful for, like this live stream. There's Bongo, there's Zoom, there's Microsoft Teams, there's WebEx, there's all kinds of wonderful things that help us connect together, but yet at the same time, we feel so disconnected. That's why we have the church, and I want to tell you, we are doing our best to clean the rocks and the debris out here to make it even easier so you can enter into this place here in the future where we can worship once more together corporately as a church family. So I invite you today, whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're experiencing, to come to the Lord today to seek shelter in our God. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? 
Almighty God, we are so grateful that we can come before you today. How challenging this world seems to be in this day. What chaos, what hurt, what problems, what loneliness. God, may we just stop and realize that you knew all about it. May we just know that you are there. May we call out to you today. And Lord, may you free us from this cave that we might shout victory, that we might give you thanks. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen.